I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read out of the scriptures every single week. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, For a couple weeks, we're talking about a playbook for your life. Last week, this week, a vision for our church and for you in 2019. And so we're going to read this passage of scripture and look at what it says for our life. This is a very famous passage of scripture. You've likely heard it read at a wedding. But this is from 1 Corinthians, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in ancient Corinth. And so let me read it aloud to you as you follow on the screen. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then read these last three words out loud with me. What are they? Love never fails. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for uh, standing out of respect for God's word. Before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, a a vision for your life in 2019 and for our church, I want to give you just a heads up about what's coming next. Uh, Next Sunday we're going to be starting a series uh, called Aiding and Abetting. Now we talked about, um, uh, and you're like, aiding and abetting, what are we, committing crimes? No, we're not committing crimes in 2019, I hope. Uh, but we talked about, you know, what do we do at the beginning of the year and, and how do we help people? And we all make the same resolutions, right? I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to be more positive. And, and um, I, I suppose there's a little bit of power in that, you know, the possibility of something new in your life. That's a good thing. Uh, but what if, what if we flipped the script a little bit at the beginning of the year? Because when we make those resolutions, who are we focused on when we're making the resolutions? Me, right? We're focused on ourselves. So we said, what if we flipped the script and we started out the beginning of the year and we all together learned a set of skills that would help us help other people, aid and abet good in other people's lives. And so what we're going to do over the course of the series is learn uh, four different life skills uh, about how to help people. And there are things, situations that we all need to learn. And uh, we've got a slide here, uh, the next slide if you would. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to snap a picture of this. And um, you can post it on social media. You can send it as a text. And I want you to invite someone to join you for the next series. So we're going to talk next week about how to listen. How many of you are fantastic listeners? Ah, Like three of you are so deluded. Uh, But you know what it's like, right? When someone really listens to you, it's life-changing. Why is it life-changing? Because so few people actually do it. So we're going to learn together next week, how do you listen to someone to help them feel love? Because it's a massive thing you can do in someone's life just to listen. Then we're going to talk about how to welcome someone different than you. Are we not struggling with that today in our culture? Uh, Then we're going to talk about how to give good advice. We all like to think that we know what to do. I'll tell you what you ought to do. But it's not always good advice. And how do you distinguish good advice from just advice? And how do you do that? 
and then all of us from time to time interact with somebody and they have this overwhelming need and we just go, oh, I don't know what to do. What do you do in a situation like that? And so I want you to invite somebody to join you. Um, it's going to be really helpful, really practical. Here's what I love about our church. Maybe you're not aware of this. This doesn't exist in every church. We work really, really hard when you invite someone uh, that you never feel like, oh my gosh, if I bring them, they're going to be so, I'm going to be so embarrassed because it's going to be terrible or they're not going to understand or they're going to talk over people's heads or the music's going to be awful. We work really hard to make it an environment where you, will, you won't feel those things. Now, someone may not agree, but at least they'll understand. And so uh, I hope you'll take advantage of that. I hope you'll invite somebody to join you uh, next, next week. Um, so there you go. Commercial aside, put your phone away. <laughs> Let's talk. Uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, about you, and, and I want to talk to you about us as a church. And, and this, is a, this is a key moment for us as a church um, because we're, we're kind of, in a way, restarting who we are as a church. There's a life cycle to anything. Um, think about a banana. If you go to uh, Meyer after the, the service today and you go, hey, we need the bananas. And, and you go, you know that when you find the banana and they're green, that it's a sin to eat that banana because it's awful. Right? Can we, can we agree on that? Stay right. That's the beginning stage, right? It's a life cycle of a banana. And then, but then you wait till it's just kind of yellow, right? When it peaks, maybe you like it just a slightly bit green. Maybe you like it with just a couple of little brown dots, right? But you know that's the optimal moment to enjoy the sweetness of a banana, right? Because then what happens? The life cycle of a banana is it turns dark and mushy and nasty, right? That's the life cycle of anything, any organization, any fruit any relationship, any church, is it starts out, it grows, and then if, if nothing is started at this peak moment, if something else is not planted, it dies. That's the life cycle. And, and we don't want to, as a church, we don't want to go this and then die. We want to go here. And at this moment, this is when you can take the seeds of that thing that it, that's at its ripeness and plant something in the ground and then grow something else. And so you have a curve that goes up like this. And so we want, as a church, to grow. We're going to end in a really unique way that we, I don't know that we've done since I've been here, but it's the time for us as a church to plant seeds and to grow. Now, do you know how you grow a church? Do you have any idea? The way you grow a church is by growing people. And so we want to grow you. If you grow, if you grow in your understanding of God's love and you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and how to follow Jesus and you grow in your understanding of, of serving people and sharing your faith, guess what happens? Other people are attracted to that and we together grow. We have life cycle, right? We go up. And so we want to help you grow uh, this year in 2019. And, and we're calling this the year of love, the year of learning to give and to receive love. Now, here's what I know about the year of love. If you want to make this a year of love for you, I hope you'll take this on. Uh, this will not happen in your life by accident. It won't. At the end of 2019, you won't go, you know what? I'm just more loving because I just was around. Nope. You're going to have to be absolutely intentional if you want to grow in your ability to give and receive love in 2019. And so um, we're going to work our way through um, how to do that today. And then I want to give you at the very end two actions you can take in the first 21 days of the new year that are going to help you jumpstart this whole process in your life. But here's, here's uh, two things I want to tell you before we jump into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. Um, I, I don't want you to waste the next year. I don't want you to waste it. Uh, let me give you a thought experiment. 
I do this anytime anyone comes to, to see me as a pastor and um, talk about some need in their life, say some crisis is in their life, maybe their marriage is not working or a job situation is not working out or things are just not going the way that they wanted them to go or they just don't know where to go. And so they reach out and they say, hey, can, can we meet? Can we talk? Sure. And uh, I invariably tell that person the same thing every time. So if you want to save yourself a trip, this is the advice I would give you. Here you go. Uh, this, is, this is what I say to that person in this crisis that they do not know how to solve, and, and neither do I, frankly. I say, listen, a, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, even if this crisis doesn't work out the way that you want, or if it does, you are still going to be you. So who do you want to be? Why don't you focus on that instead of fixing this crisis right now? This is what I'm saying to you. Nothing magical is going to happen in your life or improve in your life if you just live another year. There's no, there's no magic thing that happens with time other than we biologically grow older. <laughs> but if you intentionally invest time, then something different can happen in your life. You're, if, if you have no tragedy in your life, guess what's going to happen a year from now? Maybe you're sitting in the exact same seat. You're still going to be you who do you want to be 12 months from now? Because it's going to happen whether you like it or not. Why not invest time to make you the best possible you that you can be in 2019? Don't take the old you into a new year. Okay? I don't want you to waste, I don't want you to waste the year. First thing you need to know. Second thing is I want to talk you out of something because I think it's one of the things that will keep this from being a great year for you and learning how to love the way that God loves. Um, and this is the thing that I want to talk you out of, and I have a name for it. I've named it this, um, but I, and this is how all of us as Americans are. It's just the air that we breathe. It's how often American Christians are. But I want to talk you out of what I call cafeteria plan spirituality. When my middle son, Corbin, when it's his birthday, uh, we always let our kids pick the restaurant that they go to, and he always picks the Golden Corral. <laughs> if you want to make, if you want to terrorize a germaphobe like me, what you do is you send them to a restaurant where you watch people spit all over themselves and then go grab the handle you're going to grab to eat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Any germaphobes, right? You're like, oh my gosh, no way. So... It's awful, right? You, but here's how it works, right? You know, you go and you're handed a tray and a plate, and then there's this whole buffet, this whole cafeteria where you can pick anything that you want. And if you want to go down to this end of the Golden Corral and you want to eat nothing but the cotton candy and dip strawberries in the chocolate fountain, have at it, right? You don't ever have to go over to where the nasty uh, mushrooms and onions are. You don't have to touch those at all if you don't want them because it's your plan. You decide what it is that you get to serve on your plate. Now, that approach is the approach that many of us take to everything in life as Americans, but more so we, we apply that to our faith. We think that it's a cafeteria plan, and so I get to pick whatever I want. And so I like this part from this, this kind of song, and I, I like it when someone does this at this church, or I like this aspect of Buddhism, or this aspect of, new, of, of meditation and yoga, and I like this part of Christianity, but I don't like that, I don't like this. And so we think that that we get to assemble a spirituality the way that we want it, and that's the best possible way that we can assemble a life 
for ourselves. I want to talk you out of that because I think that's what's killing part of your growth as a follower of Jesus is because you have a cafeteria plan approach to your faith and it does not work. And what I want to talk you into instead is I want to talk you into being an actual Christian who follows the way. I don't know if you know this, but the first Christians were not known as Christians. They were known as people of the way. In other words, there was a way that they lived their life. There was the way that they responded to people who hurt them, the way that Jesus responded to people who hurt him. There was a way they dealt with their fears and their frustrations. They responded the way Jesus responded to things. They, they, they did it in such a routine way, and they did it in such a, a, a repeatable way that people said, well, they are members of the way. <laughs> That's like There's a way they go about doing it, a way like Jesus. Now, they got this from a very, uh, a very uh, famous phrase that Jesus uttered in the Sermon on the Mount. You can find the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus said, he said, listen, um, there is a broad way that leads to destruction. And many are on that path. But there is a, and this is the word he uses, a narrow way. And only a few find it. Now, what Jesus is saying there is not what many people take that to be, to say that it's exclusive and only a few people are allowed on the way. He's referring to something very specific. Maybe you've been hiking on a trail up in hills or mountains, and and when you hike up in, if you've ever done this, you know that the path is very narrow, and at times it's precarious because you have to go around some rock formation or something like that. And when you go around that rock formation, there is a specific way that you can make it around that. You can't do anything you want. You can't pick the way you want to do it. You can't decide, oh, I'm going to do it this way. You have to, there's a specific way that you have to go on that path or you don't travel on that path. And what Jesus is saying is most of us choose the cafeteria plan. Like I want to pick whatever I want. I don't want to do it a specific way. I want to pick it my way. I want to talk you out of that because if you say, well, I want to pick my cafeteria plan spirituality, then let me give you another thought experiment. If that's your approach, and you somehow think that's what's best, and that's what works for you, and no one should tell you any different, then I would, I would challenge you to do this. Write a paper this week about why your cafeteria plan approach to spirituality works. Detail it. Explain how it works. Uh, decide that you want to give a presentation to a group of people about why your cafeteria plan spirituality should work for everybody and make their life better. Now, when I do that, and if you actually take that thought experiment, you, like me, realize, oh, wait, I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) I need some help. There is instead a better way, and it's very specific. And you ignore it to your peril. To your peril. Cafeteria plan Christianity won't take you anywhere in 2019 but back to your very shallow self. So I want to talk you into a better way. Paul, in writing this letter to these Christians in Corinth, the verse before chapter 13, he says, and now I will show you a more excellent way. And I want to show you the more excellent way. It's better. It's better, I promise. 
Now, this is, this is what Paul's doing. Is this is this passage, and it's often read at weddings and interpreted to mean it's something for marriage, and it certainly is that. But Paul's not writing it to people who are getting married. He's writing it to people who are trying to live life and trying to grow up and trying to be mature and trying to, trying to be a grown-up in the world and trying to figure out what's best and important. And he writes this chapter and defines for us basically what it means to be a spiritual adult, if you want to call it that. And, and what he does is he starts off and gives us some of the ways that we mistakenly assume that we are being a grown-up. He gives us fake versions of being a grown-up, and all the versions start with uh, if, the word if, if this, if. There's like contingency, right? Possibility. It could be if, then. And that's the implication, if, then. Now, if you're a computer nerd, you know that that's kind of like computing language. Computing language works with if this happens, then this. First place I learned this was in the second grade uh, when they taught us to program on the Apple IIe. I got a picture of it right here. Take that sucker to Starbucks and slap it on the table and do your work, right? So we would go to, uh, we would program and we learned this if then language, and the if was a way we wanted to guarantee an outcome, and that's what we all want, right? We want a different outcome, and then Paul says there are some ways you can try the different outcome, but it's not going to work for you, and and we all want to control how things work out. It's kind of like when we were kids, and we thought that our parents were in control of everything, in control of everything, and then we became a parent, and we realized, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not in control of anything, and if you're not yet a parent, just wait. You'll find and have that exact realization. But, but these are all ways, Paul says, that we try to grow up without referring to love. And they all start with if. So let me give them to you really quickly, and then we'll talk about how to apply what Paul's teaching us to our life. Verse 1, he says, it says if, this is, a, again, a fake measure of being a grown-up. If I speak in the tongue of men or angels, meaning if I'm the kind of person who learns to use my words to convince people of things or persuade people or win arguments or win when you talk, that the goal here, Paul is saying, that we all buy into, like if, when I become a person who's able to influence other people, then I'm a grown-up. So if people see my gifts and that I have influence, then I'm a grown-up. Then he goes and he, and he, he ratchets it down. If I have, verse 2, if, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Now, the, the word prophet there is, is just a person who has insight and is a person who tells the truth. There's somebody who says it like it is. There's someone who knows all these great mysteries and has all these insights into how life works. And there are a lot of us who think that when we have that, then we will be a grown-up. And, and then he goes on a little bit further and he says, if I have a faith that can move mountains. In other words, if I'm the kind of person who sees the big picture or a person of faith, we think, is a person who's full of positivity. Have you ever made the resolution at the beginning of the year? I'm going to be more positive this year. And we think that if we become that kind of a person and people see us as someone who is positive or who knows things or has insight, you know, if people value our contributions in that way, then, well, then I must be grown up. And then he goes on, he says, uh, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship, in other words, if I become the kind of person who gives back to other people and I donate money and time and I become a person of compassion or if I have a person, that uh, I'm the kind of person that has a fantastic work ethic and everybody admires how hard that I work. In other words, the goal there is that I'm making progress and people can see my progress. If people are impressed by what I do, 
Then Paul says a fake measure of our adulthood. Then I think that I'm grown up. Now, here's, here's what I would argue. I would argue that most of us are chasing some version of those things, and most of us have been chasing some version of those things all our life. You know, we're, we're 55, and we're still trying to be someone who knows stuff. We're 23, and we, we're pretty sure we're going to be growing up someday. And, and what I know is that many of us have chased those things all of 2019, and we're making plans to chase some version of those things in 2019. <laughs> and, and Paul's just saying, listen, they, they're, just, they're, they're fake. It's like fake grown-up. Because he ends all of them, he closes them all the same way. He says, if I do this thing, but do not have love. So he says, listen, if you have influence, but you have no love, then he says you're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What's the word picture? The word picture is you you hit the gong, you hit the cymbal, and you hear it for a second. You feel the influence of it for a second, but as soon as it's dead, the influence is gone. And it's it's fake influence if you think, I'm just going to be a person of influence, but you don't have love. He says, then if you become a person who knows things, you know, you, you have insight and, and you're a person of positivity, but you don't have love, that you're nothing. It doesn't add anything to your grown-upness. It's a, it's a fake identity. Or he says, if you think you're the person, you know, you're going to have a great worth ethic and you're going to make progress in your life, but you have no love, then you gain nothing. In other words, you think all this progress has been made in life, but in reality, you've accomplished nothing in the world. It's fake progress but then this is what he says verse 8 that we read out loud together he says that love never fails now let's let's just be sure that we're talking about the same thing when we use that word love Uh, there there are all kinds of words in the greek language the new testament was written in um, ancient greek and there are, there are multiple words for the word love. We have one word for the word love. The Greek language had four. And, and uh, this is not romantic love. Uh, this is not the kind of love that you feel because you share uh, an affinity uh, for something with someone else and you both like the same thing. And so you go, look, hey, we're bros. We both like the same thing. Look at us. This is not even the kind of love you feel for your family, the warmth it feels to be in a family or to be a parent or be, you know, be loved by someone in your family. It's not, not even that kind of a warmth. This, this is not generic, universal, fuzzy love where I just love everybody all the time. It's, it's not that kind of love. Love, anytime Paul uses the word love, love for the Apostle Paul is always defined by the self-sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross that Jesus is willing to give up everything and die for his enemy and give up his rights. His rights. It's, it's Christ-like love. It's other-centered love. It's lay-down-my-life kind of love. And then he says this, and if you have that kind of love and you add it to influence or you have that kind of love and you add it to progress, if you have that kind of love and you add, then, I mean, the sky's the limit because that kind of love never fails. How often does he say that kind of love fails? Never <laughs> It, it always works. If you're keeping track and you're, you're filling in the blanks on the, the notes, the sermon notes, here, here's, the, here's the first blank. Love is God's strategy for changing people and things. 
think about Jesus. The, the, the world was a train wreck. The world <laughs> tends to be a train wreck a lot. The world is full of hate and prejudice and bitterness and unforgiveness. And God sends his son to love the world, not condemn it. So Jesus comes, gives everything for it, dies for his enemy, gives up his rights, shows us a more excellent way. This is God's strategy for changing people and thing is this self-sacrificial, Christ-like kind of love. And that's the way that I want to say to you, this is the way. This is the narrow way. It's the specific way. Walk in it in 2019. Now, if, it's, if that's going to happen, if that's going to work, you're going to have to develop some different habits. And um, you're not the first one to ever try this way of Jesus, this way of love. And so you're going to have to develop, though, the habits of the way. And, and really, there's three components to it. Um, the first one is this, is how will I grow in 2019 in my love for God? How, how are you going to do that? What's your plan? Got a plan? Is it just going to happen by osmosis? You're going to show up in this room and just magically get dumped in? I mean, what's, what's going to happen? Uh, you've got to have a, a personal way to do that, and then you've got a, a, a corporate way to do that. Let me explain what I mean. Personally, you've got to have some way that every day that you are receiving the love of God. Because listen, you cannot love God until you have received the love of God, because it's a response. Your love for God is a response to the love that God has for you. The, John, in one of his letters in the New Testament, he says, we don't love God first. God first loved us. So we have to find a way to receive the love of God so that we can give it back. And so this is what I do. And if you need a pattern, I would commend this to you as a practice. I'm not saying it's perfect, but if you have nothing else, try this. Um, what I do in the morning is I, I sit down with the Bible, and this is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years, is they read the scriptures and they pray. And this is a way to connect with and receive the love of God on a daily basis. And so I sit down in the morning and, and I open up the Bible. Usually I use the Version app on my phone because I like it. I can highlight things and make comments if I want to make comments and you know, thoughts I have, questions. And so I sit down with that, and I usually will read a psalm. The psalms are, are prayers written they're right in the middle of the, if you have an old-fashioned Bible like this, right in the middle of the psalms. And I will pray through those psalms. I go a psalm a day. And I'm, I'm not doing it just to do it. I'm doing it to receive the love that God has for me and claim who I am as a, fo- as a son and a, a follower of Jesus. I, I'm, I'm receiving that love every day. And then I go through my day. God, here's my day. Here's some, I'm, my day's yours, and I think through my day, and I pray through my day. And then at the end of the day, when I lay down at night, I lay down, and I, go, I do a, a, a quick review. I'm laying, I'm laying down in bed, and I do a review of my day, and anything that didn't work out or things that I wish I had done differently, I say, God, I need, I know, I need to know how to do it differently, or I'm sorry for this, forgive me for this, I need to make amends with that person, what, or thank you for these good gifts that I had today. And, and so I have bookends to my day where I receive the love of God at the beginning of the day, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a habit you have to develop of, of daily connection with God. You could use the word worship there if you want, a habit of daily worship, personal. But then you've got to do that corporately and, and worship every week. Now, for 2,000 years, Christians have been coming together on a weekly basis to worship God and, and hear God's word taught, sing songs together, and hear what it is that God's saying to them, and then make a plan to go out that week and do something about it. Think about it like this. 
If you're going on a journey for a year and you could course correct on your journey 52 times, because there are 52 weeks in the year, if you could course correct uh, every, every week, man, you could make a lot of progress in your journey, right? Um, the problem that comes when we have cafeteria spirituality is we go, you know what, I mean, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm like going to come every two months and, and that's going to be super sweet and I'm going to love that because that's what works for me. And I meet God in nature as I walk amongst the trees. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that actually really happens for that doesn't have a... Here's the problem. I can get way off the rails in two months. I mean, way off the rails. But when we come together, it's like, it's like logs on a fire. You know, all the, the warmth together, those logs together, they burn brighter than by themselves. And, and it's the principle of firsts. Here's the principle of firsts, is I give God the first part of my day. I give God the first part of my week. Sunday's the first day of the week. I give God the first part of my week. I give God the first tenth of my income. As, as a way to say, God, you are first. You know, I'm not going to give you the leftovers. I'm going to give you first because I want the love of God in my life. It's not, it's not a plan I have to earn it. It's a way to receive it. So you have to have a habit of, of corporate worship where you come together with God's people on a regular basis and you worship. It's like put it as a habit. It's the narrow way. It's the specific way. Second thing is this. How will I grow in my love for my neighbor? Uh, life is made bearable by who we love. Jesus, most, maybe his most famous parable is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we miss the context that Jesus is, is giving that in. In fact, even when we hear Samaritan, we think of that's a good person. In Jesus' day, the Samaritan was absolutely hated, was absolutely the wrong kind of person. And Jesus tells the story. If you don't know the story, it's about a man who goes down and he's traveling from one place to another. He gets beaten up and robbed. And um, a religious leader sees the man on the side of the road. He's like, I can't touch that guy. That's going to make me dirty. I can't, I got to keep going. Another religious leader walks by and then the Samaritan, the, the outcast, the, the wrong kind of person goes and sees the man, has compassion and pays for his, uh, his lodging and his, his healing. And, and Jesus is talking to all the religious people who are smug about their life and how great they are and how good they are compared to other people. And he says, now, and who in the story was a neighbor to the man? And they can't even bring themselves to say, oh, it was the Samaritan. They say, oh, well, it was the one who had mercy on him. <laughs> Jesus' point is there isn't a person who isn't my neighbor. Now, now, maybe no practice is more important for the healing of our country right now than this, right? Uh, what if, if in 2019 you learned to love your neighbor and so you work through conflict instead of throwing a relationship away in 2019? What if the neighbor in your family, because that's your neighbor too, you're closer with them at the end of 2019 than you are today? What if the neighbor who you are married to, you don't divorce at, and, and you're still married to them at the end of 2019 because you learned to love them? What if you get to know your actual neighbor in 2019? What if you build a genuine friendship with someone at work or at school in 2019? Well, if you're going to do that, there are some habits that you're going to have to put in place to make that possible. I would give you two. Uh, first is this, is you, you have a meal with somebody. If you take the meals out of the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, there's almost nothing left because Jesus would almost always sit across the table from someone and have meaningful conversations. And so 
find a way this year to say, hey, bro, you want to grab breakfast? Hey, can we, well, let's, let's grab some lunch, man. You want to grab some coffee? Let's sit down and get to know somebody. Talk. Second thing is this, is, is to get into a group. Now, we've been talking about life groups, and, and you'll see people that are leaders wearing these little badges that say, I lead a group, and you can talk to them about their group. There's a table out there, you can get information. But these, these groups are not perfect, but they're just laboratories where we can learn to love. You know that in a laboratory, you don't get everything right, right? That's where you make all the mistakes. And so don't go into a group thinking, you know, I'm going to go in with all of my junk, and I'm going to dump it on everybody, and they better love me. Or I am out. Don't, don't, go, don't go with that attitude. <laughs> go in and say, you know what? We're all imperfect people. Together, we're going to learn how to stick it out and learn to love. And, and the goal is that we would, over the next three years, we would have 1,500 people who are experiencing here in those, in those laboratories learning to love. Here's the third thing. Third habit on the way. It's how will I serve in 2019? When you serve, what you're doing is you're helping someone on their journey. We use this phrase, uh, it's kind of popular right now, we, we say it in our culture all the time, make a difference, make a difference. You need to make a difference. Um, maybe you don't know that, that Christianity is behind this phrase. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 20, verse 28. He said, he's referring to himself, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, that taps into a sense on our hearts that we know we ought to help somebody else, and that's introduced to us by Jesus because it fits with what we intuitively know about life. Even if you don't want to admit this, you and I know that life is not just about me, right? We're somehow supposed to help someone else on their journey, and when you serve, you're helping someone else on their journey, and there's several ways you can do that. You could serve on a team around here. You could work with kids. You could be a greeter. You could be an usher. You could work on the safety team. You could work in the coffee house. You could, uh, if you're an art person, you could be a part of the arts team. You could, graphic design, photography, all kinds of different ways that you can serve. You can serve if you get in a life group. Every 10 weeks, uh, we're asking all the life groups to serve one of the partners that we gave to in the Christmas offering and go help them with their mission. Um, you'll have a chance to serve. And then a, a really simple way to serve, it sounds like it's not a way to serve, but is when you share your faith with somebody. Uh, you say, well, that's overwhelming. I'll, here's, I'll give you a, a framework someone gave to me that made it really simple. Is when you're sharing your faith, you're not giving a sales pitch. All you're saying is, this is what my life was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. This is what my life is like now. Before, how, now. When someone meets Jesus, we baptize them. In a few weeks, we'll do Baptism Sunday. And over the next three years, we want to baptize 600 people. In fact, if you go down that long hallway, you'll see 200, 400, and 600. We just want to use those as markers. Like, that's the change we want to see in people's lives is them meeting Jesus and getting on the, the narrow way. And, and when you serve, what you're doing is you're going back and taking someone on the same journey that you've been on. Let me tell you one story, and then we're going to be done. I've got a picture here of um, a place in West Virginia. It's called Nelson Rocks, and it's, it's uh, called the Via uh, Ferrata. The Way of Iron is what that means. And if you can see, these people are climbing this like crazy people, and it's about 800 feet up in the air. 
and that bridge down there, you walk across that bridge, and then on the other side of that is where you start, and you, you're carabinered in, if you know what those are, uh, double carabinered in, and then you, it's not free climbing on the rock face, but there's these kind of rungs that are put in, and you step all the way up, and then you climb over that, you go across that bridge, you're again, you're carabinered in, and then you climb all the way up, and that's the widest part. I mean, you, when you get to the top, I mean, you're, you're literally about this wide, and it's 800 feet and 800 feet. It's awesome. And um, so I, I went, I was a middle school youth pastor, and I thought, you know what would be great? I think I should take middle schoolers up on an 800-foot rock. Their parents will love that. That sounds like a great plan. And so uh, I found somebody who did that, and I went because I wanted to go first, and I had an intern, and we took, went to the, the intern. And I'm not going to lie, I like that kind of adventure stuff, and I've done a lot of it, but I was terrified. <laughs> All I could think of, I'm shaking like this, half the time, our intern was, he was more, even more terrified. It's like, I'm never going to be in youth ministry. This is awful. Get me down. I was, I was, the reason I was terrified is because I was only thinking about my journey. That's why I was full of fear. When we brought the middle schoolers, I was kind of in the middle of the pack, and so I had a kid right in front of me of, of, of going up here, and then I had another another kid here and so instead of me being focused on my journey I was focused on their journey and because I'd traveled that path once before I knew what to expect and so I could say okay now what you need to do is put your leg it's a little higher but just a little, it's going to be okay I promise when you put your foot there there's going to be a hold there and you're going to be able to make it up hey it's okay right there you see that you see that little ledge just reach it just six inches higher it's going to be all right it's going and, and all the way up that one side and down the other and across the bridge and up over here. And then you walk down out of the valley right there. I didn't, it was an amazing experience because I had absolutely no fear. Do you know why? I wasn't focused on my journey. I was focused on helping them with their journey. That's what happens when you serve. Uh, I told you that in 2019, I want to give you two ways to jumpstart the process. Here, here's the first one. I want you to get in the life group. I want you to try it. It's 10 weeks long, the first semester, and then there's another semester. So for, if you get in it for 10 weeks and you're like, who are these weird people? Uh, I want out. Don't say that they're weird. Just let us know and we'll help you find a different group. <laughs> but I want you to try. You can talk to somebody who's wearing one of these lanyards. Uh, there's a table out back. You can go online to reallifecc.org slash lifegroups. Register there. We'll help you. I'd love to have the problem of having too many people that want to be in groups. It's a great problem to have. That's the place where you're going to learn to put all this into practice. Second thing is this, and we'll talk a lot more about it next Sunday, but we're going to, uh, at the first of the year, we're going to take 21 days, and we're going we're gonna to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Maybe you have no idea what that is. We're going to explain that in great detail next week. Fasting is a time-tested way that Christians have used to focus. It's not about earning brownie points with God. Oh, God's impressed that I fast and didn't eat food or stopped using social media or what. No, no, it's, it helps you focus. And so for 21 days, we're going to focus and we're going to say, God, what are you saying to me? You can go, if, you wanna, uh, if you're an eager beaver, you can go look at reallifecc.org slash 21, the number 21 days. And there's some resources and articles there about fasting. And um, you can sign up for a text message. You'll get a, a scripture every day. At noon every day, we'll do a Facebook Live on our Facebook thing about that scripture and pray together on, on Facebook Live. And then um, we'll be together on the, on the weekends. But it's a, an intense way for you to focus and say, okay, God, in, in, in 2019, I want to start with all of my attention on you. 
and, and I believe that you want to say something to me. And, and that's how we're going to together get on the narrow way. So I want to I want to commend both of those things to you. Well, I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. I want, we're going to pray, and then we're going to do something a little bit um, unusual. But um, would you allow me to pray for you right now? Uh, so God, we uh, we come all of us from our cafeteria plans. That's what we're taught. We don't know anything else but the cafeteria plan, picking and choosing what we think's best. And we admit right now. None of us are that wise. I'm not that wise. I need a guide. I need a guide who's been there before. Who's climbed up the peaks and down into the valleys. Who knows where to put my hands and guide my feet. Who knows where the journey ends. I need, I need you as a guide. We need you as a guide. And so right now, uh, we rethink our pattern as Americans where we cafeteria choose our way and we instead say, okay, okay, Lord, teach me in 2019 your way, the way of love. Christ-like, sacrificial, lay down your life love that never fails. So we change our mind right now. You can change your mind. Tell that to God. I changed my mind. I need help. So we all stand in need of help. None of us are smart enough or wise enough or have enough insight or enough positivity to get through 2019 on our own. We need help. We admit it. So help us. We're going to end a little differently. I'm going um, to invite you, uh, look around. There's some empty chairs right? Those empty chairs represent a person, a person with a life, a person with hurts, a person with needs, a person who needs to know a different way. And in 2019, there's somebody in your world that needs to know that way, and God wants to reach that person through you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to end, we're going to make, this is going to be a little bit awkward, uh, so bear with me, all right? I promise we don't normally do this if you're here as a guest. <laughs> we're going to make a big circle, here in the room. So if you're at the front, come with this way. And you're in the back, push that way. We're going to kind of make a circle all the way around the room. If you're in the balcony, you can kind of make a circle right there. And we're going to do what you do. Maybe you did this at Christmas or New Year's. Uh, you held hands as a family, and maybe you prayed for the meal. And as a family, we're going to hold hands, and we're going to pray for 2019 together. So grab somebody's hand, mush in tight. Get close. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray, okay? So I want, would you do this with me as you're kind of, you're still, some of you are still kind of moving in. It's okay. You can kind of stand in front of somebody. I know there's probably too many of us to really make this a perfect circle. But I'd like you to do this as we pray, okay, as we bow our heads. I'd like you to offer yourself to God. God, I am available to you in 2019. God, I want to learn your way. I want to learn all the way of love. And then I want you to think about that empty seat that was near you, and I want you to pray, God, is there a person in my life this year that you would use me to love, to be a friend to, to help that person know you in 2019? 
put that person on my mind and heart this week as I go about my business. Use me this year to do that. Make a difference in someone's life. And so now, God, as we hold hands as this big family that you've uh, put on the planet, your people, your kids, your sons, your daughters, we want you to blow away uh, in our lives all the things that are um, useless. Blow out of our hands our phones that (laughs) keep us distracted from the people in front of us that you love so much. Blow out of our minds the thought patterns that keep us from focusing on you. And instead, fill us with your love. Thank you that this is something that you give to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to our world. You, uh, you sacrificed yourself for us. You gave yourself up for us. You continue to give yourself up for us. We receive your love. Now, in turn, love through us. We pray this in your name. All God's people said... Amen. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. See you next week.